You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Communication with the group is, uh, I think it's outstanding. And if there's a problem, we deal with it. Oh, Canada, we stand. You boo them when they touch the puck, and you you make the, the building uh, phenomenally loud when uh, when things goes your way. I'll tell you that for free. Good morning, Vancouver. Six oh one on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. No wait. It's Jamie Dodd at Sportsnet right. six fifty. We are coming to you live from the Kintex Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jamie, good morning. Good morning. Uh, a dog. Good morning to you. Good morning, Laddie. Good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning. This week is Halford and Dodd in the morning. The vacationing Jason Bruff is in Mexico. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today we are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them on the internet at Campbell. Nope. Everythingfinancial.com. I almost sent them to Campbell Dosh Pound, whatever that is there. You know? What's the one? Did you just say Campbell Dosh Pound? Campbell Dosh Pound? Campbell Dosh Pound. Dosh oh, I almost, almost sent him to Campbell Dosh Pants. If you go to that on the internet, it won't work. He card read good. Don't do it. What does the Dosh look like? Uh, <laughs> that's a close relative of the Dash. It's just a longer one. It's a Dosh, as they say in England. Um, go ahead, Jamie. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, we have a very big show today on Boa Palooza. It's Horvat Day. Finally, everybody, uh, the former Vancouver Canucks captain returns to Rogers Arena tonight, 7 o'clock. Pre-game, post-game, and the game. Everything right here on Sportsnet 650. As for what's coming up on this show today, uh, 6.30, Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick podcast, and uh, or Jeff Merrick show and the 32 Thoughts podcast will be joining us. 7 o'clock, Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to be joining us. And then at 8, Corey Schneider. That's right. Former Vancouver Canucks goalie, the guy who is forever linked mm-hmm. to Bo Horvat, thanks to that trade on the draft floor in 2013. Uh, he's now an analyst with MSG Network, which Andy keeps referring to as the MGS Network. And not yes. ironically. Yeah, I don't. It's, <laughs> it's, you know what? It's, an, it's a, the Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. That's right. That's the reason I say that. Uh, I never so, put it together. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah it's job, stuck in my head forever, and I will never change it. So Corey Schneider's going to join us at 8. Uh, From Nick, the Metal Gear Solid Network. Right. <laughs> Just going to talk gaming for 20 minutes uninterrupted. Yeah. Not a mention of Horvat. Uh, 7 o'clock, Nick Shook. 6.30, Jeff Merrick. Okay, we're giving away tickets today for Saturday's game. Uh, again, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena against the Seattle Kraken. So if you want to get in on those, dear listeners, send a what we learned into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket at 650-650. What we learned, the premise is quite simple. You tell us what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports. Hashtag it WWL. And yes, today, put those ticket emojis into your text. You'll be entered into the grand prize contest to win a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Kraken on Saturday. At Rogers Arena. Okay, that is what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? 
What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Okay, we uh, I had to get through the intro part real quick because we have about a million yeah. things that we need to get into today, most of them Vancouver Canucks related. For a relatively quiet off day where the team only practiced. There was a bunch of news around this team. The big one, courtesy of Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff from the NHL general managers meetings, is that Canucks general manager Patrick Alvin told Frank in Daily Faceoff on Tuesday he's trying to chip away at a contract for Elias Pettersson. The quote is as follows. I've had conversations with Pat Brisson, and I met with Pedersen's Swedish agent a couple of weeks ago when he was in town. This is what Alvin told Frank yesterday. We're continuing to talk there and see where things go. Hopefully we'll get it done soother, sooner rather than later. I cannot talk this morning. I'm going to now cede the floor that's, that's to difficult. Jamie Dodd. That's difficult. For the next two hours and All 55 right, minutes, here we go. go. Uh, and then I'll add on what Pat Brisson said, which is uh, we continue to have conversations, but I prefer to keep things on the low key for now. That was uh, Brisson to Frank via text message. So from both sides saying, yep, we're talking, we're having conversations, not saying anything is imminent or anything like that, but there are conversations happening. And this is a huge deal, obviously, especially where things were kind of left between Pedersen and the team after his, his interview with Elliot Friedman uh, on a boat in Sweden in the summer. And for all of the, you know, the Canucks have got off to such a good start and people have started to, I think, let their minds wander down the road. Hey, could this team make the playoffs? Can they finish top three in the division? What's going to happen here? And that's all great. And that's all really exciting. But this is the biggest reason. This is the most important reason why a good start matters why a great start matters for this team if Pedersen is so impressed with what he's seen already and likes what he's seen already so much that it's changed his position or it's it's cleared the bar for him saying okay I want to wait to see how things go now I've seen how things are going I'm willing to start talking extension that's a massive massive deal and I I do have to say like I think the fact that we haven't been talking about Pedersen's contract situation at all was actually a really good sign. Yeah. Because if the season had been going poorly, it would be a constant talking point. Would you know what I mean? That up? The negative media had brought that <laughs> the up. The negative media. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens from here because the acknowledgement publicly that they're working away at it will bring this conversation back mm. to the forefront. I mean, it kind of was set on the back burner because, quite honestly, there were a million other things, more pressing things yep. to talk about. But now you're, you're going to start to wonder about how long are they going to go? Will they go the full eight? Are they going to chalk up the Rasmus Dahlin contract and say, here is $88 million over the next eight years. Would you like to be a part of this for close to a decade? Because that's going to be, again, we're comparing apples to oranges with guys that, yes, are the same age, but play different positions or in completely different markets and mean different things to their team. But it's probably a ballpark figure that an eight, 88 over eight would be something that could be discussed I don't know if that's what it'll end on, but you're going to be talking about those figures for Pedersen. He's the leading scorer in the National Hockey League right now. So this kind of works both ways. You know, the club will say, look, Elias, Pat, unnamed Swedish agent. We want to discuss a variety of things. The first of which is we got proof of concept now that everything we said about the changes we were going to make Mm -hmm. and that we were going to become a serious hockey team going from an unserious to a serious hockey team. Look, we've got a great record. 
all our statistics are top shelf in the NHL. We believe that we have something here that's beyond just a hot start. We think we've got the group righted. We've got the right coach for it. Then the Pedersen camp will respond and say, yes, and a big reason why you're an 11-win team is because my client here has 25 points and is one of the best players in the NHL. So the payout is going to be real interesting. Yeah, and... You know, Alvin says in the quote to uh, to Frank Sarvalli that, hey, we, we'd like to get this done sooner rather than later. I think there's a lot of reasons, obviously, why that would be the case for the Canucks. Number one is, yeah, Pedersen's put himself in an even stronger position already. But if it gets to the end of the season and he's, you know, top three in NHL scoring, well above 100 points, clearing 100 points for a second year in a row, his leverage is incredibly, incredibly strong after that. Right. So the fact that he's willing to, you know, he's not saying, hey, I'm going to wait until I have another 100-plus point season on my resume to really dig in. That's a good sign, and I think definitely the Canucks should be trying to get it done before he he racks up another one there. I think the other reason why you want to get this done as soon as possible is that the security and not having to feel like you have the pressure of it looming over you is a big deal, sure. right? Because as the, as we get closer to the playoffs, I mean, I think Alvin acknowledged uh, elsewhere at the GM meetings to other reporters that, yeah, we'd like to add on the blue line, right? right. If there are things that are out there, we're, we're very interested. It's hard to do right now, but we'd be interested. And I think if you're looking as the playoffs get closer, the trade deadline gets closer to improve this team. You want to be able to do it with the certainty that Elias Pettersson is locked up. Not yeah. like, oh man, we got to we gotta nail this trade to impress Pettersson. Well, you know what I mean? Cost certainty is a big part of this because they've got a deal looming with Philip Ronick that they're going to need to sort out yeah. as well. And that's going to be another significant pay bump, right? You want to talk about, like Pettersson's making 7.35 right now and he's going to get a substantial raise. Horonic's on a deal that pays 4.4. There's a chance he's going to come close to doubling that. And that's going to be a difficult thing to work under the cap and with their budget. So you're right. Like getting this done, assuming they do. Now, remember, we have no idea when you're trying to parse through the words and look yeah, through how the close line. it is or anything right. like that. I mean, is it good that they're having discussions, preliminary or otherwise? Absolutely. It's better than this thing just sitting on the back burner with nobody addressing it. Is it going to get done tomorrow? I'd be highly skeptical of that. Mm -hmm. I think that it's still got a ways to get played out. The important thing here, I think the biggest takeaway is that everything has gone swimmingly through the first six weeks of the season. And this is just another thing you can add into that side of the ledger. Like, things gone good, things gone bad. Well, this is another thing that has gone good. He's played great. He's healthy. The team is playing well. And it seems like if there was any consternation about the aforementioned boat interview where he said that, yeah, you're going to see how this plays out. And I don't want to, you know, I want to win. That's my number one priority. The fact that it's trending in this direction is a good thing. Okay, let's shift on here because we've got some other stuff that we need to get into. Specifically, Bo Horvat's return. It is finally here, folks. Boa Palooza, Wednesday, November 15th of this year of our Lord, 2023. All the Canucks got to weigh in yesterday mm-hmm. on Horvat's return. Now, I want to put this out there. We threw a video up yesterday of the four of us. I think Andy was involved in some capacity, but mostly Laddie. Going back and forth about what the fan reaction would be when Bo Horvat stepped onto the ice and did his address and got his video tribute. And I saw a lot of different feedback from a lot of different people on social media. Some were actually openly questioning why we were having the conversation as if there were was a, de- a debate at hand. I was like, of course there's a debate at hand. We're getting texts on the regular to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 about, I'm going to boo Horvat every time he touches the puck. 
he does not deserve our cheers. And I think that's the wrong take, but I also acknowledge that Mm. it's out there. Well, if you would like to know what the players think, almost universally, not surprising, they're all saying, don't boo Bo, just cheer Bo. Make him feel good about himself in his nine years that he spent here, including those years as captain. Uh, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller. And I think I was reading through your notes last night. You bring up a good point. We're not dumb. We're going to carve him. Yeah. I'd be like, no, you should actively boo-boo. I never cared for him. (laughs) You know what? He didn't do a good job. I didn't like that guy. (laughs) I hope the fans really stick it to him. With some fan points, maybe, with a few fans. You know, yeah, you know they're not going to come out and carve him. But I do think when you dig in... To some of the quotes, they're more than just boilerplate. Oh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna pat this guy. On that the is back. A, that is a good good salient point. Like you know what I mean? Like Pedersen sp- specifically going and saying, "Hey, he always helped me when I came over. You know, my English wasn't the best, but he always made a point to talk to me. You know, he's always been a really good teammate. You don't have to go into that sort of detail if you're just trying to end the conversation in in the least controversial way possible, right? Yep. So I think the fact that they are going a little bit beyond that, you know, Miller calling him a great friend, which is interesting considering all the, excuse me, locker room rift talk and all of that. Yeah, non-invite to the Halloween party. And Miller even referenced that. He said, obviously, there were a lot of rumors and stuff, but uh, he was a great teammate and a really great friend. And I think just, again, I get it. Look, people are going to text it. Well, what do you expect him to say? But I think you take it all in total. You look at it. You think about the context. And it does show you a level of respect and appreciation from his teammates for what Horvat did here. But this is a conversation that is out there. And it's very polarizing because yesterday, another one of Bo Horvat's former teammates took a decidedly different tact when speaking about the captain. That guy, of course, is Yannick Hansen, a regular contributor right here on Sportsnet 650. Um, he... Was a teammate of Horvat's for, I think, two and a half years, including Bo's rookie year. So he's familiar mm-hmm. with the guy, familiar with the player. Wasn't around for the captaincy part of it. But uh, Yannick did not mince words when talking about what Bo said with I'll tell you that for free and everything else. Here's Yannick yesterday on Canucks Central. Oh, sorry, People's Show with Bick Nazar uh, talking about how it was a slap in the face to the Vancouver faithful. Yannick Hansen yesterday on Sportsnet 650. I hope they give him the best of the both worlds. Uh, right. You, you boo him when they touch the puck and you, you make the, the building uh, phenomenally loud when uh, when things go your way. Um, and then you can kind of yeah shove it in, in his face right back at him, kind of, if you will. Um, I know you kind of need the team to perform in order to do that too, but uh, again, it's um, it was a slap in the face on uh, the Vancouver faithful, that's for sure. He'll tell you that for free. Yes. Actually, I do think we pay Yannick, so no, no, he won't. No, you know what? Yeah, we're paying for a nominal He's going to send the invoice in. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, roster news and injury updates from the Canucks yesterday. Uh, Carson Soucy week to week after suffering an injury in the, I think it was in the second period, and him and Myers actually got hurt yep. on the same shift against Montreal on Sunday night. So, uh, it's a lower body injury. Rick Tockett confirmed it to reporters yesterday. So, this is the thing that we were all talking about, we all knew was coming. A thin blue line to begin with mm-hmm. was going to suffer some injuries along the way. Susie will be a big one, no doubt, for this team. While he doesn't play an overwhelming amount of minutes, he is a top six. Andy, call it, wait, that's your phrasing, right? The top six defense? He's top six. Yeah, right. He's a thriving top six defenseman on this team. And as a result, Akito Hirose, another one of Andy's favorites. Well, well, well. <laughs> he's been called up from AHL Abbotsford. We're trying to figure out if he's going to get into the lineup tonight. You seem to I think yes. he is. And, you know, I mean, I, First of all, so embarrassing for me after I staked my uh, reputation on saying it was going to be Will Lannan getting called up uh, mm, yesterday. Okay. You know what? Barely listen. Yeah, no, I know. I'm not worried. Anyway. Yeah. Um, 
So there was a bit of a moment of, uh, I don't want to say panic, but uh, shock when people saw the practice lines yesterday because Myers didn't practice either. So it was, you had all of Hiroshi, Friedman, and Cole yeah. in the lineup at practice yesterday. And I don't think it's going to be like that because Myers, as they said, as Tockett said, just a maintenance day, he should be good to go. But I think what you'll see is something like Hughes, Hronick, Cole, one of Friedman and Juleson, and then Hiroshi and Myers on the third pair just because... Tockett has been so committed to having three right shot guys and three left shot guys on the blue line. Hiroshi is the left shot guy to replace Carson Zuzzi. Right. So when you look at it on paper, again, the team's been great. That blue line has played above expectations and above its head and above water for the entirety of this season, I would say, given what it's comprised of. But now, I mean, it's thin. There's no other way to really describe it. That is a thin blue line with not a lot of... um, NHL regulars like you got to remember Mark Friedman prior to joining this team was not an active nope. NHLer. Akito Hirose not an active NHLer. Noah Juleson again a tweener at best. That's three guys that didn't have regular reps at the NHL level before jumping in to this squad, and they're going to have to make a serious contribution. I would assume that the Quinn Hughes and Philip Horonic ice times are going to be like borderline very, very significant. They're yeah. going to be close to thirty. And I think it's going to be like that for the foreseeable future. I like there's, there's no cavalry on the horizon to, no. to solve. And this honestly, thing, right? even Cole and Myers, I expect, are going to get a significant minute, especially Ian Cole. Like we've already seen that that Cole's minutes get up well above twenty in certain situations because the coach he's he's been their number three defenseman, right? That the coach relies on. And sure. I think you're going to see a lot of that uh, tomorrow or tonight the, as well. The top three of the top six, as it was. Now, <laughs> yes. if, if you're talking about opponents, it's you're going to be hard pressed to break in with a better one than the New York Islanders if you're coming in with. With this, you know, depleted blue line because the Islanders don't score a lot. Plain and simple. They don't mm-hmm. have a lot of offensive punch. They haven't exactly been testing anybody. The special teams are nothing to write home about. And, uh, you know, defensemen that are leading scorers. So I think it'll be it'll be a decent test, but not an overwhelming one. Seattle, to be honest, Seattle on Saturday, too. I know they got Calgary. They go to Calgary for the second of a back-to-back. But we're not talking about offensive juggernauts in these next three games. So that should be good. Speaking of the Calgary Flames, I want to jump into some of the things that happened in the National Hockey League last night. The big story was Jacob Markstrom's return from injury, and what a return it was. 34 saves. The Calgary Flames win 2-1 against the Montreal Canadiens in Montreal. Markstrom missed the previous couple games because of an upper body injury. Here's something to keep an eye on. Calgary got off to a horrible start this season, and they had a six-game losing streak sandwiched in there. Since that six-game losing streak, Calgary is very quietly 3-1-1. You know, the Jonathan Huberto benching. Mm-hmm. The Jacob Markstrom injury, the Nazem Kadri struggles to start the season. They've managed to survive it, and they've put together a nice little run. Part of the reason that they're doing it is they've turned to some of their younger guys in the American League, including Connor Zary, a guy I did not know a lot about, I'm not going to lie, prior to the start of this show. He's got five points through uh, six games now, and he's given them a spark. They've been able to play guys more minutes while reducing the ice time of a guy like Huberto because he's been ineffective and they've been okay. So for all the negatives that have come out of um, the province of Alberta to start the season with the two respective hockey teams, Calgary's kind of righted the ship. And of course I bring this up because the Canucks are going back to back. They're going to be in Calgary on Thursday. Yeah. And Calgary, all of a sudden, you know, only four points uh, or five points out of the final playoff spot in the West. And they're not, they don't have a great record now by any means. Right. But they've, they've tied Minnesota. They're just a hair behind Seattle. They've at least climbed back into the pack. That's chasing the final playoff spot. 
being rather than being the basement dwellers along with the Oilers and the Sharks in the Western Conference. Yeah, keeping it in the Canadian team conversation, the Winnipeg Jets, who we have talked about like not at all this <laughs> season, I have paid zero attention to what they're doing. After Shifley and Hellebuck resigned, I was like, fine, we don't have to pay attention to them for a while. They have had a very nice start to the season and none nicer then Kyle Connor, who scored two more goals in a 6-3 win over the slumping New Jersey Devils right now. Keep an eye on that, too, with all the injuries they've got. So Connor now is tied for the NHL lead in goals with, with Austin Matthews with 13. And again, another guy that we just have not flat out not talked about to start this season, even though he's been brilliant. Uh, 6-3 win for the Jets. So that's one to keep an eye on as they move forward because they continue... I think they've over they've exceeded expectations. I think so. My expectations this year were very muted for that team, even after the Shifley and Hellebuck um, extensions, because I wasn't exactly sure what they were as a team. It felt like a bunch of remnants from the previous yep. regime, plus all the guys that they added in the Dubois trade. And then I just kind of looked at it and said, "Okay, we'll wait and see what happens." Uh, they look pretty good. I I was expecting them to be in that the thick of the bubble playoff tier in the Western Conference, and they've put themselves right now a cut above that. With the I start. thought the same, and I thought that would be their ceiling. Yeah. I thought, you know, I'm like, if you are a 94 to 98 point team, that is almost exceeding well, expectations. They're a little bit like just a better, a more talented version of the Islanders in the sense that it's just the same over yeah. and over and again, right? It just feels stale, but that doesn't mean it's bad. You're, right. But you're just like, ah, this again, you're running it back. But hey, they're doing a good job so far. Um, the Buffalo Sabres are sad club brethren here in Vancouver. Uh, a real tough start to the season. Got a hell of a lot tougher yesterday. Last year's 47 goal man, Tage Thompson, is now out indefinitely after he suffered a upper body injury in a 5-2 loss. Another bad thing for Buffalo uh, to the Boston and Bruins on Tuesday. Thompson had a nightmare game yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw it, but he he suffered a skate cut early, came back, then blocked a shot from Charlie McAvoy, and that knocked him out of the game entirely. Uh, Don Granato, the Buffalo coach, said that Tage Thompson is going to miss a significant period of time with an undisclosed injury. Remember, 47 goals a year ago, 12 through 16 games. He was a guy that was going to be counted on yeah. in a big way to get Buffalo into the playoffs for the first time in a decade, and now he's out for an extended period of time. Well, and Buffalo is one of those teams that Ottawa and Detroit were the other ones. Now, Detroit's done it so far, at least, but these three teams that were really going to be trying to take that step forward to pl- to, uh, to to be in legitimate playoff contention, all in that division, and for Ottawa and Buffalo, it just hasn't happened, right? It's more of the same for them. Now, the, the, the playoff race so far, and I realize it's only November 15th in the Eastern Conference is very bunched up. So those teams are still very much alive in that race. But you keep waiting for Buffalo to take this really meaningful step forward where they're not just hovering around 500, but they're actually showing you something. They're a stat like they have the young talent. You go through Darlene Thompson uh, power, right? Like there's really, really good players there and they just can't seem to bring it all together and take that next step. Nightmare game for Devin Levi as well. He has pulled after five on 18 shots. Yeah, it was not great for him last night. I watched some of the highlights and he was getting hung out to dry too. Like it wasn't a Mm -hmm. poor goaltending performance. They are just leaky everywhere. Um, Two teams that we need to keep an eye on before we get to Jeff Merrick, who's going to be joining us on the other side of the break. And there are two teams that one, I really don't care about that much. And two, uh, completely unexpected turnarounds. The one is, and the first is the Anaheim Ducks, and they are the most relevant to uh, what we do here Mm. because of their ties to the Pacific Division and the fact that they keep winning games while trailing going into the third period. An NHL record now. The Ducks have become the first team in NHL history to have six 
third period comeback wins through the first 15 games of the season. They had another one last night, 3-2 against the Predators. That puts the Ducks to 9-6-0 on the year, and they are in the playoff mix, which I did not expect at all. This is earlier than expected. I know Mason McTavish is having an amazing year. We have yet to see Anaheim yet, and it's going to be really interesting because when we were looking at uh, the preseason and trying to predict what's going to happen during the regular season for the Canucks, one of the things that we said was, you're going to feast on two-thirds of California. You're going to beat up on the Sharks, and you're going to beat up on the Ducks. Everyone in the division is going to do it. Not that way right now for Anaheim. The uh, the Ducks are the inverse version of last year's Canucks. They yeah. were setting records for blown leads early. Like, wow, they've already blown eight multi-goal leads. All and these <laughs> weird, obscure NHL <laughs> yeah, records yeah. that the Montreal Maroons That's set. That's hard to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, already? The Ducks are doing it in the good way so far this year. And then we have to pay attention to... The Washington Capitals, who after a really flat and kind of dismal start to the season, which included Nicholas Backstrom coming back Mm. from hip surgery and then going on the shelf, the Caps shut out the Vegas Golden Knights last night thanks to Charlie Lindgren, one of your favorites, laddie. They are now 7-1-1 in their last nine. He catches with his right hand. Yeah, it's but the guys... Isn't that cool? So, So, like, Ovechkin's not having a very good year. Um, Nicholas Backstrom is out of the lineup. Kuznetsov got hurt yesterday. They're doing it with Dylan Strome being their leading goal scorer and a guy named Beck Malenstein. Malenstein? I don't even sure. know if I'm pro- pro- pronouncing it right. Yeah, Malenstein. I'm not sure. Uh, he was one of the three goal scorers last night in a 3 nothing shutout win over the Vegas Golden Knights. So you look at the Caps now, and out of nowhere, they're an 8-4-2 and two team, and suddenly they become interesting again. Mm-hmm. And by the way, just to keep an eye on Vegas, who has come back to earth a little bit, they've lost 3-4, of four, and in the, the losses, they've scored a grand total of three goals. So that heater that Vegas was on that got them to the top of the Pacific Division, uh, now no longer you're listening to the best of halford and bruff you're listening to the best of halford and bruff now the star again flips the puck in front backhander what a stop by schneider with the left pad as he denied jamie ben and he covers up 8.02 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 6.50. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 3 of the program. Corey Schneider is going to join us in a moment here to kick off Hour 3. Hour 3 of Halford and Bruff featuring Jamie Dodd, I might add. Uh, hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. You all know our next guest very well. He is the former Vancouver Canucks goalie turned broadcaster with MSG and NHL Network. Corey Schneider joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Corey. How are you? 
I'm doing well. How about you guys? Uh, we are well as well. Thanks for taking the time to do this today. We appreciate it. Big day in Vancouver. It is Boa Palooza. It is Horvat's return for the first time to Rogers Arena. This time, of course, as a member of the New York Islanders. And we thought, let's get Corey Schneider on because although you and Bo were never teammates, uh, you are now essentially forever linked to Horvat, given the famous draft day trade back in 2013. What do you remember about that particular moment in time? And what's it like being forever linked with a guy that you never even really played with uh, well for that matter I, I only met him for the first time a couple weeks ago in washington when i was calling a game down there, there i met go. him after the morty skate so we said hi to each other in person i'd seen him on the ice before but never had a chance to talk to him off the ice so uh yeah it's funny you know it, it was a big deal obviously back then not 10 years ago now and uh you know for me it was something that i wasn't expecting at all as it's been well documented i i was expecting to stay in vancouver so the, the trade was absolutely surprise to me and um you know, flattering to get traded for the ninth overall pick. That's a that's a good return for a goalie, especially. But uh, you know, again, I don't think Bo and I have ever compa- compared ourselves to one another. I know everyone else will, and that you know the, the trade tree that comes from that. But um, you know, you never want to see a guy fail or not do well. So it's been great to see him have a good career. And uh, now he's with my Islanders, my most recent team, the team I'm technically working for with MSG. So um, you know, he's he's brought in a good element to that team and given a little more depth up front and scoring, which they need. Yeah, what have you seen that uh, Horvat has brought to the Islanders, and how has he fit on that roster since uh, since he was acquired? Well, they have a, a good they have good center depth between Barzell and Nelson and Sezikis and Pajot. So I think he just added to that, and he was able uh, he allowed you know Barzi to shift over the wing there, where maybe he can use his creativity and his passing, his vision a little bit more, but. Um, you know, I haven't quite seen it yet, but, you know, for the power play, he's he's become a threat in that bumper spot, which he was in Vancouver for so long. And, um, you know, may not have the shooting percentage he did last year to start the year when he was pumping him in, but um, he definitely gives him another scoring threat, which, again, for the Isles, they're, they're so good defensively and they have a lot of good depth, but they need guys who can, uh, you know, finish consistently. And I think uh, Bo is one of those guys who can do that once he gets going. And he's had a few nights where he's he's shown that. Yeah, I mean, scoring, it's uh, it's such a need as well for the Islanders and the shooting and the finishing ability that Horvat has. You know, from a team perspective, still a bit of a struggle to score goals this year. Does it just come down to that's the personnel and, you know, they're not they're going to be successful by playing uh, defensively sound? Or are there things that you think they could do to maybe juice the offense a little bit more? Yeah, it's interesting watching them because they're nights where they're going and they're feeling it. I think they're a team that has, like I said, it's a, it's a depth team, so they need depth scoring. So if uh, you know if one line's not going or two lines aren't going, it's harder for them to manufacture goals. They don't have as many straight up game breakers. Uh, they're more of a grind you down, you know, puck possession sort of dictate the tempo of the game. They're going to win a lot of games three two and four three. They're not going to win a lot six one six two. So. Um, you know, I, I think adding Bo gives him a guy who can score. Barzi is obviously a bit of a game breaker. Brock Nelson, I think, is one of the more underrated players in the league. Um, but, you know, again, on any given night, if, if they're executing and moving the puck crisply, they play faster. Um, if, they don't, if they're not playing quick enough, then it, it can bog things down a little bit for them offensively. So I think that's been their struggle the last few games. I think they've lost four or five in a row now is that, uh, you know, they've been stuck on one or two goals. And in this, this league, this day and age, it's, it's hard to win that way. Uh, but, you know, it's a team that's comfortable in those games. They don't mind being in those 2-1, 3-2 games. Uh, they just got to make sure they're ahead of it and, you know, playing with the lead and not, not trying to chase from behind because it can be a challenge for them to manufacture offense on an instant. You know, they need to sort of, like I said, use the entire game to get momentum and, and create that offense from the entire group. So you mentioned that you spent time at the end of your career with the Islanders organization. So you're obviously familiar with a large portion of this current group. What's it been like going from playing on the team to covering the team as a member of the media. <laughs> Strange. You know, I, 
I don't feel like I'm part of the media, to be honest. You know, the first game I called um, was in Columbus, and usually you walk in the arena and go left towards the dressing rooms, which I've done my entire life. And this time I kind of got steered right into the media room, and I kind of was face-to-face with all the reporters I've dealt with in my entire career between New Jersey and New York. So it was a little bit not awkward, not awkward for them or anything, but uh, just definitely a difference. So, um, But it's fun. It, it's a good way for me to stay involved in the game, to stay on top of uh, what's happening in the league. You know, it's something, like I said, I didn't want to be uh, super busy my first year retirement. I've been gone a lot, so I wanted to make sure I was around for my family and just to relax and enjoy life. But, you know, doing a couple games a month, doing some NHL network a few nights a month, uh, it gives me a perfect balance of staying busy enough while, while keeping on top of the league and the game because it just changes so dramatically. Um, you know, I remember I was in NHL network opening night with Chicago and they put the lineup up with the Bedard and I didn't know four or five of the guys in the lineup. So, you know, it's even just one year removed you got to stay current on everybody if you want to make this a, a you know recurring thing. So we'll see. You know, I enjoy it. Um, I'm getting better. I'm learning every time I do it. But you know, it's not something I'm not sure I want to do forever or for a while. So it's just sort of a good good feeling out process to see if this is the path I want to take. Right, because one of the big differences is that a media member, you know, you <laughs> you don't have to be critical, but you do have to be critical because you have to point out when players are playing well. You also have to point out when players aren't playing well. So, like for example, right now, uh, Anders Lee is having a real tough go of it. For the Islanders, he's got one goal through 14 games this year. And this is a guy that if you're a, a hockey pool uh, fanatic over the last few years, he's, you pencil him in for 28 goals. For some reason, he always hits 28 goals. I don't know why, but he can he can find the back of the net. And he scored 41 years as well. Uh, what's it like watching, again, a former teammate go through the kind of struggles he's going through, knowing that he's had a lot of success scoring the puck previously in his NHL career? Yeah, and I, I think as you know, once you're part of the media, it job's not necessarily to be critical, but it's to be honest. It's to see it how you you know call it how you see it, and uh, you can do that without being too critical. I think, and and for Anders, you know, having gotten to know him, he'll be the first one to tell you that that he wants to be able to produce more. He, he'll tell you that right away. Um, you know, he's been a big power play guy over his career, and they haven't necessarily uh, been as efficient on the power play the last few years. So that probably eats away at a few, and uh, they kind of bounce him around a little bit. He's been on the first line, he's been on the third line. So I think sometimes that lack of continuity is hard for a player to get into a rhythm and, um, you know, get in, get to your game. And, and his game is going to the net, winning winning pucks in the forecheck, uh, coming up with those 50-50 battles, and then grinding it out near the net and getting some pretty greasy goals that uh, not a lot of guys are willing to do. So, you know, unfortunately, I think that style of play, it, it can lead to some, you know, times where the puck's just not finding you around the net. And, uh, again, I, I know Anders really well, and you can't measure what he brings to that group in terms of being the captain, his leadership, the way he's able to navigate, you know, losing streaks or, or ruts for guys. So, you know, I know fans don't necessarily want to hear about the, the off-ice character or what guys bring to the room. They want to see goals and stats, and uh, I understand that. But uh, he's an integral part of that room. So everyone's, you know, behind him. Everyone's rooting for him. No one's down on him at all. He's probably being harder on himself than anybody. So, you know, again, and, and sometimes it can be streaky. So, you know, he may rip – once he gets one, you know, you'll watch him get four or five in the next, you know, five or six games. So, um, again, I – he doesn't want to be in this position. I know that for a fact, but uh, he's not going to change the way he plays. He's not going to try to do something different or be something he's not in order to manufacture offense. He's still going to try to play the right way, and once they start coming, they'll start coming. One of the real bright spots for the Islanders this year, Corey, has been the play of Noah Dobson on the blue line. 24 years old, leads the team in scoring, actually, as a as a defenseman. And, you know, there's so many good young defensemen in the NHL right now. I, I feel like sometimes Noah Dobson flies under the radar, but he's been right around that 50-point mark the last couple of seasons. For fans out here who maybe don't get a chance to watch him on a regular basis, what's making him so successful right now for the Islanders? 
Yeah, and I think it's a couple things. Obviously, just the natural maturation and development curve of, of defensemen. It takes a little bit longer, especially for young D-men, to, to create offense and become comfortable doing that. Um, the Islanders played a system for a long time where the D were not necessarily encouraged to jump up in the play, to lead the rush, to do those kind of things. I think the last couple of years under Lane Lambert, uh, he's been encouraging that more. We need more offense from our defensemen. We need you joining the rush, being that fourth guy. So I think Noah's taking full advantage of that. But, yeah, part of it's just maturity, physical development. He's becoming more and more confident uh, by the week, it seems like. And I think that's what it is. He's been more assertive shooting the puck. He's shooting with a purpose. He's looking for sticks. He's looking for tips. He's not afraid to let it go and, and you know, uh, try to pass up opportunities to shoot the puck. So, again, young right-handed defenseman with his size and skating ability, he's 6'4", you know, 210, 215 around there. He's still got some room to fill out. Those guys don't grow on trees, especially ones who can put up 50-plus points. So, uh, I think he's leading the team in scoring, if not right around the team lead, which is huge. And, again, for a team that scores by committee and uses their depth, they need their defensemen contributing. And he's definitely been the bright spot back there, just, just leading more offense. So they're going to need him to continue to do that. We're speaking to a former Vancouver Canucks goalie, Corey Schneider, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Corey now a analyst for NHL Network and MSG Networks. And uh, I do want to talk about what happened in the previous couple of games at home where chance of fire Lambert rang out uh, most recently in a loss 4-1 to the Washington Capitals at UBS Arena. That was on Saturday night. Uh, the chant got... He was very blunt in his assessment and said, you know, if fans are going to do that, we'd rather than not be here. They might stay home. Uh, where's the level of discontent that you're hearing from the fan base right now that they're chanting these things at games and that they're not happy with the recent run of form from the Islanders? Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, the Islanders are such a passionate fan base just from the dynasty in the 80s and all the cups they won then. And uh, you've created this this group of diehard, extremely loyal and passionate fans. So I think that's a great thing. I think you'd rather your fans care than not care. Um, it's been tough. I think, you know, they had those two conference finals runs in the COVID year and the year after, one that I was a part of with the taxi squad. So I think that gave a lot of people some encouragement, some hope. And then uh, to, you know, miss the playoffs the following year and then get eliminated in the first round last year, it feels like a step backwards, I think, to the fans. And um, it's it's tough because, you know, I think that the organization has kept the status quo. They've wanted to keep the same group of guys around. They've they're in a spot where they can't make a lot of changes. So, you know, I think as a fan, if you don't see results, you want change. And the easiest change in most parts is the coach, um, where I don't think that's very fair, though. I, I think, I, you know, having played under Lane, uh, I think he's a great communicator. I think he's very detailed and, and organized. Um, but, you know, again, like I said, and for Casey as well, it, that's it's one of the tightest-knit groups of guys I've seen in, in the league. You know, Vancouver was one early in my career. And then to come into that group who's been together, a lot of them for, you know, five, ten years they've played together and they've been an Islander. So I think they take that very seriously and they're very protective of one another. So look, you know, are the fans going to appreciate what Casey said? Maybe not, but I, you know, I applaud him. We always want players to speak their minds and speak the truth. We get annoyed when hockey players give you the generalities and the platitudes. So he actually said something. And so if people are offended by that, then so be it. It means he cares and he's passionate in defense of his team and his coach. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta produce results. So I, I know that's part of it. Um, you know, so they're in a spot here right now where they, they need to go on a bit of a run. They, they've had this losing streak. Uh, it gets late pretty quickly in the NHL. You never knows by American Thanksgiving. If you're not in it, you're not likely to be. So uh, it's, it's a proud group that sticks together. So I'm hoping that they can uh, go on a little bit of a run here. And sometimes getting away from that, going on the road on a long road trip 
uh, away from the arena, away from the fans, we don't have that pressure from them, uh, can be a good thing. So hopefully they can start to accrue some points here on the rest of this trip. One of the things we're consistently used to seeing from the Islanders is excellent, excellent goaltending, you know, often from Ilya Sorokin. But this year, and especially recently, it's been more of a split in the crease with uh, Varlamov getting a lot of run and playing really, really well. What are you seeing from the goaltending duo uh, for the Islanders right now? I mean, I think they're tremendous, having worked and played with both of them the last few years. Uh, Elian, for my money, is the top three goalie in the league, hands down. Just just talent-wise, mentality, uh, skill level, I, I think he's he's right up there. It's incredible the stuff he does. And Farley's been around forever. He's been rock solid his entire career. He's had some stretches of greatness and really good play and uh, couldn't be a better you know 1B to, to Soroki's 1A. They're good friends, both Russians, so I think they help each other in that way. Um, but, you know, Farley had some great play. I called two of the games this year on the road where he had shutouts, and as I said, it gets late early, so if coach thinks that, hey, I need to win this one now, then they might go with the guy who is a little bit hotter or playing playing really well, and sometimes they've done that for Varley. But, um, you know, Soroki's numbers aren't what you might think they should be. Um, that's been another issue with the group is they haven't quite defended at the level they're used to. They've been given a lot of chances and a lot of good scoring chances. So I think there's some nights, uh, you know, Ilya's given up three or four, but he's actually kept it, you know, kept it at that number as opposed to not playing well. So um, they're too good to not go on a run here, like I said, steal some games. So uh, I'm not too worried about the goaltending, but games like last night in Edmonton was one of the first times they had Mayfield and Pellick in the lineup together because Maisie got hurt early and then Pellick got hurt right when Maisie came back. So, again, their defensive depth isn't isn't elite. Their top six is really good, but they don't have a lot – behind that necessarily so i think for them to have a full group on the back end is going to make a big difference yeah you know you, you mentioned the uh, the defending in front of sorokin in particular so far this year and, and here in vancouver thatcher demko and casey de smith both having fantastic starts to their season in the crease and, and one of the things that rick talkett has talked about is really trying to make sure they improve the structure and the environment in front of the goalies one because it just makes it easier for them to make saves but also as a way to keep the guys fresh throughout the season if they're not having to work as hard uh on a, you know, on a nightly basis with what the defense is giving up from a goalie's perspective, how much does it change, you know, everything about how you play, how you prepare when you are playing in front of a really defense or behind a really defensively sound, responsible, structured team? Uh, It makes a big difference Uh, you know, again, as a goalie, all you can do is react. You can't, you can't be proactive. You can't go out there and throw a body check. You can't make a play. You have to wait and sit and see what comes to you. And that's, heavily reliant on the system and the players in front of you. You you basically have to react to what they give you. So um, I think part of it, too, is when you come to the rink every night and you're sort of guessing, you say, I have no idea what I'm going to see tonight. I could see 50 shots with 10 back doors. I could see 20 shots with no real grade A's. That can be hard. It can be hard on a goalie mentally to come into a game and not know what to expect. I think when you have that consistency and that structure, it gives you a little bit of a sense of calm. Say, okay, look, you know, I'm going to see my 30 or 35 and if I make a handful of great A's, especially early in the game, my team's going to settle in and we're going to get to our game and we're going to be okay. I think that can give you a little bit of predictability in an unpredictable position. So, um, yeah, for me, it's massive. I think there are very few goalies who can transcend the system in front of them that regardless of what's happening in front of them, they're still going to be very good. And those are those top three to five goalies in the league. And that's why you see on how the guys in front of you are playing. So clearly Thatcher's been playing great in Vancouver. Um, but I think, again, some of that is predictability, getting some offense, playing with leads, not always chasing the game, uh, and where you're giving up more chances as you try to chase. I think that's the, all that goes into, I think, creating a more predictable and structured unit in front of you. 
Uh, Corey, before we let you go, I'm going to throw you on the spot a little bit here. As a decorated international uh, goalie, you know, we represented the U.S. multiple different levels uh, and won a variety of different medals while doing it. Um, I got to ask you, if you had to pick, who would be your number one lock? One game, winner takes all, U.S. versus Canada. The U.S. needs to pick a goalie for one game right now, current form. Who are you taking in goal? Is it Hellebuck? Is it Ottinger? Do you want to play to the local fan base and pick Thatcher Demko? If you had to pick right now, because there's a lot of good American goalies right now and a lot of them in form, who's your guy at this moment? That's a really good question, a tough question, because, um, you know, you, you can't play all three at once. And quick side note, all three of those guys are Hockey East guys, kind of Boston College where there I came go. from. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Hockey East is a little bit of a goalie factory these days. But, uh, you know, I love the way Thatcher's playing this year. Um, his track record in the last couple of years gives me a little, little hesitancy. Um, Hellebuck's been elite for a long time. I might go with Ottinger, to be honest, just the younger um, – you know, I like his game a lot, and I, I like the other two guys quite a bit as well. It's not a knock on them. It, it's really hard to make that decision on the spot, but I might go Ottinger just based on the way he played and the way he's played in the playoffs the last couple of years. Um, you know, I think it would be a good spot for him to play in that big game. Uh, and finally, before we let you go, uh, let us know and the listeners know about the new podcast with Brian Boyle. <laughs> yes, I appreciate it. In addition to the work stuff I'm doing, uh, my good friend Brian Boyle has played in the league a long time. We know each other since our college days in New Jersey. Uh, we have a new podcast coming out soon, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. We're, we've got some episodes under our belt. We're just trying to polish them up a little bit before we send them out. So hopefully by December 1st, uh, it's called One Time All-Stars because he and I were both just the one-time All-Stars. So as we like to say, we were the, the worst of the best. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a theme for our podcast. We talk a lot about hockey, obviously, but more about life, you know, retirement, parenting, some of the stresses that come with being a hockey player that people may not realize. So it's more of a lifestyle uh, kind of pop culture with hockey mixed in type situation. So hopefully a little bit different than uh, what people have been listening to. Very cool. Corey, thanks for doing this today, man. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight and best of luck with everything moving forward. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming out. We appreciate it as well. That's Corey Schneider. Okay, so let's get this straight. Former Canucks goalie, mm-hmm. NHL Network analyst, MSG, or as Andy calls it, MGS, MGS analyst, uh, and a podcaster. So he's got it all going on. He's got to learn his audience a bit more, though, going with Ottinger as his pick. You either got to go with Demko. I even would have accepted Jari. You know, Delta BC's Tristan Jari. He's got to know who he's talking to. But he was talking about Americans. Oh, is it just strictly? Okay, I missed missed that. So so that would have been really on the board. Well, Demko still stands up. Yeah, but you got to respect the integrity. He's not pandering. I, I love a good pander. So I, I and I set it up on a platter for him. Like Corey, just say, just say, Demko. just say, Demko. <laughs> say the line, Corey. Say the line. We didn't get him to do the Hanson. Yeah. By the way, thing. everyone texting and asking him for him to do his Yannick Hanson uh, impersonation. Yeah. He came on with Drance and I Canucks talk like I don't know a month ago when he, whenever his retirement was announced, I and we did force him to do it at gunpoint. You should have so. got him to do Hanson telling people to boo Horvat. Yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think he should be required to answer one question in the Yannick, Yannick Hanson voice every hit. That should be part. So of if it. you're really desperate to hear it, you can go back. You can find the episode you can listen yeah. to it what's there. the best way to kill a bit oh i know make the guy for, force him into doing Do it, it over, over and, over, yes. and over again exactly. over and say over the line Corey. say the line um okay that that conversation though with the american goalies we bring it up all the time because i mean the vancouver canucks have the best american goalie tandem in the nhl right with the smith and demko so it's obviously something that's a, re- a recurring theme given that both of the goalies are playing exceptionally well and are american We've always had the very like quiet, uncomfortable conversation that if you had to pick a starter for Team Canada Oof. right now, who would it be? Like, would it be Aiden Hill? 
I think Carter Hart still gets Carter most Hart, of the look. Aiden Hill. Yeah. Tristan I mean, Jari. Logan Thompson's up there. Jari's hurt right now, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing is like, you talk about, you're like, are we still talking ourselves into Jordan Binnington? The lack of options no. for Canada. And then you go to the Americans right now. Hellebuck, Ottinger, Demko. Hey, Joseph Wall. Is that the Vesna list or is that the? <laughs> John Gibson, Jeremy Swayman. You know, there are, there's well, a lot of guys. It's really not fair. Sorry? It's really not fair. I know, and then do the Russians. <laughs> the Russians, yeah. Vasilevsky, Sorokin, Shosturkin. Like, yeah, the that's Czechs pretty good. Really good pretty good. It's, yeah, yeah. It's so, a Canada problem, yeah. strictly. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.